Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. Playing in front of all of your peers in studio class can be pretty stressful, of course. But in studios, where students are expected to provide feedback to those who are playing, listening can be pretty stressful, too. I mean, you obviously want to say something thoughtful and helpful, but given how personal giving and receiving feedback can feel, it's tough to find the right balance of supportive and critical. Like, if we err on the side of being too nice or gentle, the feedback ends up sounding kind of generic and isn't particularly useful. But if we use the voice in our head that criticizes us when we play, our feedback could come across as being overly critical and make the recipient feel defensive and shut down. Back in those days, I relied on the classic feedback sandwich, making sure to sandwich a couple positive aspects of their performance around the main critique I thought I'd offer. Or failing that, at least offer an open-face feedback sandwich, which is where you start with a nice thing and then offer the main critique. And while that might sound good in principle, it doesn't really work because when you're on the receiving end of one of those sandwiches, you know to just ignore the obligatory compliments and hone in on the critique. And even then, the critical bit is often vague or watered down. So when you get a comment like, it sounded like you might be rushing a bit at times, it's difficult to know how seriously to take that let alone translate that feedback into action. When I look back, not really sure how much of an impact peer feedback in studio class had on my subsequent practice behavior or performance. Indeed, the research on the effectiveness of feedback on performance is pretty mixed. Like in some studies, feedback does improve performance, but in others, feedback has no effect on performance, and a good bit of the time, feedback actually leads to worse performance. Yet, I still really like the idea of eliciting peer feedback, not just because it can be a great exercise for the listener, but because our colleagues represent a pretty massive resource of untapped knowledge, experience, and perspectives. And when we do get feedback from our peers that's specific, critical, and actionable, it can lead us to explore new ideas or take our playing in directions that may never have occurred to us otherwise. So how can we get the kind of input from peers that can help us level up our playing? Is there a more effective way for us to ask friends and colleagues for feedback, perhaps? 
A team of Harvard Business School researchers were curious to see if a simple tweak to the language we use in eliciting feedback could lead to higher quality and more useful information. 194 adults were surveyed about their experience at work and asked to reflect on the most recent time they observed a colleague doing something that they could evaluate the performance of. For instance, the time a coworker put labels on items or created a new marketing strategy. The participants were then randomly assigned to one of two groups and asked to either, quote, provide feedback to your colleague about the performance you described, or, quote, provide advice to your colleague about the performance you described. Their feedback or advice was written down, and a separate panel of raters then reviewed their comments to gauge the criticality and actionability of their input. Criticality essentially being the number of specific comments made about what the work colleague did not do so well, and actionability being the number of comments that involved specific suggestions on what the recipient should do. So did this seemingly trivial swapping of words make any difference? Actually, it did. Those who were asked for advice generated more critical comments versus comments about what the colleague did well. They also generated more specific comments and more suggestions, which were also rated as being more actionable than those who were asked for feedback. The researchers repeated the same basic study in a couple different contexts, too, one in which participants were asked for either feedback or advice on a job application letter, and another where students were asked to provide either feedback or advice to their professor on end-of-semester course evaluations. And in each case, being asked for advice seemed to lead to higher quality comments than when participants were asked to provide feedback. So why would using the word advice make such a difference? Well, the researchers explain that when we hear the word feedback, we tend to think in terms of evaluation, like was the performance good or bad? Did I like it or not? Was it too fast, too slow? Did it rush or drag? And so on. Which leads to comments like, I think your rhythm was a little unsteady at times which, sure, that's good to know, but it's not immediately apparent how exactly to translate this into concrete action steps. Whereas when we're asked for advice, our thinking tends to shift more naturally in the direction of teaching, or thinking of ways to further our friends' development and the specific strategies we've used that they might also benefit from, which could lead to suggestions that are more along the lines of, try subdividing the last half of measure 38 in triplets instead of straight quarters. That often helps me avoid shortening the half note and makes it easier to place the downbeat of measure 39 more precisely. In other words, advice seems to lend itself less to a critique of what was good or bad, and more to recommendations on what exactly one can do to improve. Admittedly, these studies were conducted in the context of more of a conventional office-type environment, but it seems that the concept should still transfer pretty well to music and would certainly be fun to experiment with. So the next time you play for a friend, see what happens when instead of asking for comments or feedback, you ask for advice instead. Instead of offering only general comments on what they noticed, do they get more specific? Might they even go a step further and offer a suggestion on how to practice the passage or potential solution that might fix the issue? Speaking of playing for friends or colleagues, as uncomfortable as this can feel, it's one of the most useful things you can do in preparing yourself for the unique challenges of a big performance, competition, or audition, which even the most incredibly experienced performers describe doing themselves. 
course, it's not enough to simply drop by a friend's house to do an informal run-through of your audition rep. That just doesn't simulate the actual experience of an audition closely enough to give you the opportunity to practice and develop the kind of focus that the actual audition will demand. There are a lot of important details in setting up the room, how to spend your time in the hour before your mock, how to prepare your friend even to provide the most useful comments to you, and so on, that all work to increase the effectiveness of your mocks. And it improves your ability to minimize the gaps between the level of your playing in practice, in mocks, and in the audition itself. So if you have auditions coming up in the next three to six months and have been trying to figure out how to use your time in the most effective way so as to feel 110% prepared and confident on audition day, percussionist Rob Knopper and I would like to help you hone and refine your practice and audition preparation system. To which end, we will be running a live online eight-week audition prep boot camp. The first live session takes place in about a week and enrollment ends at midnight tonight. That is Sunday, October 20th. You'll learn a three-phase system that will take you through how to do excerpt research and build audition day confidence from day one, how to get all your rep into muscle memory in such a way that it's more resistant to choking under pressure, a whole set of mental skills for dealing with audition day pressure, all geared towards being so thoroughly prepared, both mentally and physically, that auditions no longer feel so hit or miss. If this sounds like the sort of thing that could help you take your playing and auditioning up a few notches, you can learn more and get signed up at robknopper.com slash bootcamp. That's R-O-B-K-N-O-P-P-E-R dot com slash bootcamp. <laughs>